This is the CQ on Congress Coronavirus Special Report. We are bringing you daily updates on the policy news you need to know using the reporting prowess of CQ Roll Call. I'm Sean Zeller. It's Wednesday, May 6th. President Trump backpedaled on his plan to disband his administration's task force on the coronavirus. He said at an Oval Office event celebrating National Nurses Day that, quote, he had no idea how popular the task force is until actually yesterday when I started talking about winding down, unquote. The task force will now shift its focus to finding a vaccine and reopening the economy. Meanwhile, on Capitol Hill, the chairman of the Senate committee charged with overseeing operations of the Capitol has talked to the attending physician about the feasibility of using rapid testing for members and staff. We start in Congress tonight with CQ Roll Call's Lindsay McPherson, who breaks down the fault lines around the next coronavirus relief package. I want to talk about an overview of what's going on besides state and local aid in these coronavirus relief talks. That has been a big focus, but it's hardly the most contentious issue that lawmakers have to deal with as they're looking to do another bill. Um, There are some red lines that both parties have drawn. President Trump has been talking about a payroll tax cut instead of doing direct payments, which Democrats say were doing more direct payments to Americans to provide continued relief to workers and people who have lost income during the pandemic. Trump would rather do a payroll tax cut. It's not necessarily widely supported in his party, let alone by Democrats, but he has said that he's told Mnuchin, who's the lead negotiator on the Treasury Secretary for the administration, that he won't support or sign another bill if the payroll tax cut is not in it. Another big thing in the negotiation is Immigration has creeped up as an issue. Trump has said that if there were going to be money to state and local governments, that he would want to block any from going to sanctuary cities, which are just localities that choose not to report undocumented immigrants to the federal government or to share information about them with the federal authorities. Trump thinks that those sanctuary cities are protecting criminals and he doesn't support sanctuary cities and he's always trying to block funding to them in a variety of spending bills. And so he wants to do that. Here, if there is going to be any more money for state and local governments, Democrats, meanwhile, want to provide more protections for undocumented immigrants, not less. They would actually want to make it so undocumented immigrants can get free coronavirus testing that was provided for American citizens in a previous bill, but not for undocumented immigrants. So Democrats want to extend that to them. They also want to make sure that the um, direct payments, the checks that went out in the previous bill, as well as any of future bills, can go to mixed families where some an American citizen is married to an undocumented immigrant. Immigration is always a contentious issue between the parties, so that's going to be tough to resolve as well. And then another big issue is election funding. The Democrats want to provide more money to states and set up a, for elections up to $4 billion. There was um, $400 million appropriated in a prior bill, but they want to do another $3.6 billion to get up to that $4 billion they say is needed to implement nationwide vote by mail. They think that's important. 
given uncertainty about where things will be in November in terms of the virus and whether it'll be safe for people to participate in the election. They want to ensure there's a process in place that people can participate without risking their health. Republicans are opposed to a national mandate for the vote by mail. They feel like states can decide on their own whether they should have more mail-in ballots or what process they should use based on their own state needs. And so those are just some of several big issues that negotiators are going to have to work through. It's not going to be easy to get another bill. People are a little exhausted with how much funding they've already provided. And so this is going to be a slog in the weeks ahead to get to another bipartisan agreement. Now we go to CQ Roll Call's Michael McInoni, who takes a look at the impact of the coronavirus on the economy. I'm reporting on some of the impacts that the coronavirus has already had on various sectors, particularly in the economy. Now, there have been already millions of people who have lost their jobs. And assuming things don't get worse, that's already going to have a long-term impact on the economy across multiple sectors. First off, the tens of millions of people who have lost their jobs Many of them have already lost their employer-sponsored health insurance, which is going to put more pressure on Medicaid and state budgets, particularly in expansion states. More people are going to be shifting to self-paid insurance through the ACA marketplace or through COBRA insurance. And there will also be more people who go without health care insurance And those people are still going to have diabetes, they're still going to have heart attacks, and they're still going to have emergencies that require medical care. Um, And the people who I've spoken to have said that that's going to put a strain on individual households, as well as insurance companies and health care facilities like hospitals, even while they're dealing with a pandemic. Now, looking past the initial pandemic crisis, there's some economic indicators that Uh, economists say may make the recovery take longer than expected. Federal data shows that there's been a sharp decline in the number of new businesses being formed and a slight uptick in the number of corporate bankruptcies like Chapter 11s. That means that when people do want to go back to work, there may be fewer opportunities for them to do so. And last, we turn to immigration policy reporter Camila Deshalas, who delves into the impact COVID-19 has had on meatpacking employees. Over the past few weeks, I've been examining what's been happening at meat processing companies, and especially what's happening with immigrants who are working there. A lot of immigration advocacy groups are urging meat processing companies across the country to ensure that immigrant workers have access to proper COVID-19 testing and personal protective equipment at these work sites during the coronavirus pandemic. More than half of the frontline meatpacking workers are immigrants. There have been at least 4,000 cases of workers at these meat processing plants who have tested positive for COVID-19, and at least 20 people have died from the virus according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. And what this really signifies is that, you know, a lot of advocacy groups are saying that immigrants who are working at these work sites are really vulnerable because they may be intimidated or too afraid to speak out about the unsafe working conditions in fear of retribution from their employers. A lot of people don't know that a lot of these work sites, a lot of these meat processing plants, have been targeted by Immigration and Customs Enforcement in the past. 
And this really just exacerbates and adds on to a lot of fear that immigrants have about speaking out about unsafe conditions. I've heard testimonies from immigrants who are working at these meat processing plants and who have contracted the virus. And they stated that when they've tried to tell their boss that they were showing or displaying symptoms of COVID-19, their bosses dismissed it and told them to keep working. And that created a lot of uncertainty and fear that, hey, if I start speaking out, maybe they will fire me. I need this job. And so there has been a lot of movement on the ground from advocacy groups and unions to make sure that workers and immigrants, regardless of their immigration status and their if they have health care or not, are still have access to proper testing that ensure that these meat processing plants are implementing protocols at these work sites to ensure that workers are social distancing and that they have the necessary equipment in order to protect themselves amid this coronavirus pandemic. Finally tonight, the Brookings Institution, a nonpartisan think tank in Washington, published a new report today that says nearly one in five American children is hungry. Schools typically provide public school students two meals a day. But they remain closed, and will remain so through at least the end of the school year. During the Great Recession, by contrast, one in 18 children went hungry. That's all from the CQ on Congress Coronavirus Special Report. From all of us at CQ Roll Call, I'm Sean Zeller. Thank you for listening.